Turn your Bibles to Daniel 1, and uh, while you're turning there, um, I'm uh, looking forward to getting back in our study in the life of Christ in uh, Luke's Gospel. We're kind of getting towards the end. But uh, I've been kind of, I was, I was kind of contemplating and, and considering some truths from Daniel this week and thinking about uh, the life of Daniel and the society Daniel was in as I've been thinking about what's going on in our own country right now. And I just want to say, I know uh, there's a lot of uh, confusion and uh, concern and unrest, and, and, uh, and I want to say this, uh, uh, don't... Um, don't lose your reasoning ability and your reasoning skills because of the passion of the hour. Is that safe to say? Uh, I've never seen so many conservatives be fall, uh, fall into the bait of misinformation and fake news and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we're supposed to be the fact checkers, okay? And uh, so uh, make sure you run stories down before you... I know we all have a lot of wishful thinking. I've seen so much about the Insurrection Act and all this other stuff. I'm like, come on, guys. Um, but I want to challenge us a little bit, and uh, I hope this will be an encouragement to our hearts today as we consider where we are at in the, in, uh, the 21st century, particularly in 2021, and uh, where we are as, a, a belie- as believers, but also want to take a step back and look at history a little bit and kind of see where, where we are at um, or where others have been who have gone before us. I think sometimes we lose the reality of the Christian life in, um, in the context of, of, uh, of where we are at. So we think, for example, we've lived in the freest country in the world, probably that the world has ever seen as we consider uh, the great experiment, which is America. All right? uh, our Constitution is a document like the world has never seen, and, uh, and really the longest standing Constitution that we've seen in recent history. Um, in the time that America's been in existence under one constitution, um, I, I, I can't remember what the numbers are, so I'm going to guess at it, but it is amazing how many countries have had turnovers and civil wars and all this kind of stuff, and we've actually been a very stable country and one that rose to, uh, to uh, world power so quickly. And so a part of that is we look and we say, you know, America's great, it's wonderful to live here, and no matter what, you go to any city in America, you're going to see churches, you're going to see steeples, you're going to see uh, our heritage as a Christian nation. And then so all of a sudden, when a little bit of persecution comes, we start saying, oh Lord, are you coming soon? And I don't even mean persecution, I mean like potential persecution. Oh, we're looking to, now I will say this, there are a lot of indications, if you understand or if you studied prophecy a little bit, there are a lot of things that are kind of, you can very easily see fall into place. Probably like never before in history. But, but, uh, but I want to say this, I don't know how bad it's going to get, and, and, uh, and uh, we've been very blessed to live in America, but I want to tell you something, from the time of the apostles, Christians have been suffering persecution. What makes us so special as American Christians? Well, we're his favorite, don't you know? No, no. If I remember my Bible right, there's only one people that are identified as a chosen people. Israel. Okay. And by the way, God has not turned his back on Israel. That's another topic for another time. But, uh, but I will say, uh, say this, that, uh, that sometimes we lose sight of the context of Scripture. We even lose sight of, uh, of God's overall plan. And so I'm going to step back and just kind of look at some things. Most of the New Testament, by the way, is written uh, to people that did not have the freedom you and I enjoy as believers. But Daniel, look at Daniel chapter 1, and uh, just to kind of get our mindset wrapped around the story, we're going to read the first few verses. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, which part of the vessel of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, uh, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Now, just right from the very beginning, here's what's going on. Um, Jehoiakim is uh, the king of Judah. Judah, of course, is part of the, the uh, is one of the, the, the two kingdoms when Israel was split. And, uh, and, and he comes, now Judah, Israel, if you would, uh, they're, they're who as far as God's concerned? Who's Israel in God's economy? 
His people, his chosen people, right? And, uh, and, and what happened here? A pagan king comes in and besieges Jerusalem and takes them into captivity. God's people. God's people. I, I want to say this. In history, if God did not spare his own people that he made covenants with, you think America's exempt? Just, just something to chew on for a minute. Look at verse number three. And the king spake to uh, Aspenes, uh, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the priests, uh, excuse me, of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, cunning and knowledge and understanding, science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the, the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and unto Mishael of Meshach, and unto Azariah of Abednego. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank, wherefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I ask that you would help us now in this time. Lord, may we have our hearts encouraged in the Lord. Lord, would you uh, help each and every one of us to establish some convictions in these days that we live in, in these uncertain times, and may our confidence, and as we looked at last week, our hope be in God. Help us now in these next few moments, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, I'm, I'm kind of breaking from my tradition just a little bit in that I'm not exactly going at this expositorily, but I want to make some observations. As we look at the life of Daniel, and we look at history, who is Daniel? Uh, what, what was going on in him? But I want to say this. Uh, how, what do we do when radical changes are happening? And, and I don't know if you've been paying attention or if you listen to the lingo or if you're watching the news or, by the way, be very careful and very limited when you're doing that uh, because uh, uh, we don't want to, to, to step too far into the mental health ministry. But um, as you look at all this, I want to say this. There are some radical changes on the horizon if certain individuals had their way. There are some very radical changes. There are some things happening, and, and some things Daniel went through are some very radical changes. Now, he was in a land where they worshipped their God. He was in a land where uh, they, they loved God, they had their rituals, their traditions, and, and they worshipped God, and, and now some very drastic changes have taken place in Daniel's life. Uh, God's Word, by the way, in history is full of examples of of radical changes that happened to God's people in their particular societies. Uh, we aren't the first. And so I want to encourage us with some of that. But Daniel was such an individual. First of all, Daniel had a change in geography. 700 and 900 miles removed and taken on this journey to Babylon. That journey probably lasted about three and a half to four months of just traveling, uh, as Ezra records it when he goes back to Jerusalem later on. Um, he had some, some not only geographical challenges, he had some gender-related challenges. In, uh, in chapter 3, the prince of the eunuch was going to gather these men, and Daniel and these other boys would actually become eunuchs. I'm not going to get too much into that. But, um, but a part of them making them eunuchs was, uh, was to, uh, uh, so that they would not, of course, reproduce, and they would not uh, have an uprising and try to take over. They're going to be servants of the kingdom. There were some gender issues. 
I see some parallels of their own society. There was uh, an education-related issue. Look at verse number four. But the children, uh, but in children whom there's no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. They needed to find some young people that were very brilliant, very sharp, that they could brainwash to put it bluntly, so they could re-educate. And I want to say this, that, uh, that we have a very aggressive re-education campaign going on in America. They are rewriting history. They're omitting history. Something's very, very curious to me lately, just some observations I've made and how, how many of our people, um, uh, our young men and women in uniform, for example, they stand up and they swear an oath to protect, to uphold, and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. It sounds really nice. But if we were to have a pop quiz on base with all of our servicemen and women, how well do they think, you think they know the Constitution? Have they ever read it? You in the military, do you, do you guys ever have a Constitution class? I never did. What are they defending anyway? How do you defend something you don't know about? How do you know your rights are being violated if you can't articulate your rights? We have a problem. And then you add to that now rewriting history. For 500 years, Christopher Columbus was esteemed as a hero, and all of a sudden we woke up in this woke generation, and all of a sudden he is such a bad guy. Because we're so much smarter than 500 years of history. By the way, I'll tell you what, you read some of the writings of our founders, <laughs> I will never say I'm smarter than any of them. <laughs> Those are some brilliant homeschoolers. Yeah, they were homeschooled. Education, they're, they're going to teach them a new language. They're going to teach them a new culture. A part of their culture comes new gods, new religion. By the way, what's America's religion, or at least the one we're heading towards? Science, also known as humanism. Under the guise of science is really what it is. Because don't, don't start talking to me about science and you can't even figure out how many genders there are. So we see a religious reprogramming going on. Daniel faced an identity challenge. There's a lot of talk today about identity, isn't there? Who am I? What am I here for? He had an identity challenge. Look at verse number 6. Now, among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were their Jewish names. Unto, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, and unto Hananiah of Shadrach, and unto Mishael of Meshach, and unto Azariah of Abednego. A new name. Interestingly, the word Daniel, the name Daniel, means God is my judge. By the way, Daniel lived his life in light of that name, did he not? God is my judge. The name Belshazzar, which was given to him, is named after one of their uh, Chaldean gods, uh, which means Bel protects his life. Belshazzar. The god Bel, or the one that he represents, is uh, he'll be protecting your life. So on the one hand, you've got God, Jehovah God, is my judge. Over here, you've got this false lowercase g, God, protects. And, and that's now going to be the name. And that's, that's really an affront on his God in the face of Daniel. Over and over, every time someone says, hey, Belshazzar. Every time, it's reminding him of this pagan God. Though Jehovah God's got a mark on him. Got a call on his life. Identity crisis. Who am I? By the way, they're challenging our identity as American people. <clears throat> Finish this sentence. Those that fail to learn history are... That's half the equation. Do you know that? Also, those that fail to learn history will eventually disappear as a people. Because what does history tell me? It tells me who I am. Why is church history important? There's a lot of convictions you'll develop just from studying church history. Why is American history important? Who are we? Why did we get here? And what is our significance in the world? When you study, honestly, American history, 
you're going to realize the world needs America. Not because I'm special, not because you're special. I do believe America is something special. I've said it before. There are over 200 distress calls over the seas every year from pirate attacks or, or uh, various things. Uh, and you know which Navy they call? They don't call the British Navy. They don't call the Navy of any of the countries in the, the UK or, the, or Africa or South America. Or, they call America American Navy because we'll be there. We're a nation of justice. We're a nation that desires to uphold righteousness. And there's no room for terrorists. There's no room for these things. But you teach our children to hate our history. What's going to happen to our national identity? It goes away. See, we see a lot of parallels. We see a lot of connections to what Daniel had to go through. And if I, if I step back and I just kind of analyze Daniel, I think this man, this young boy, this, this, this teenage boy, young man, um, who's got a good head on his shoulders, he doesn't stand a chance. How could he make a difference in his day? The odds are against him. Everything is against him. Everywhere he looks around, he doesn't even have family to fall back on. Remember, he's been taken from his home. No airplanes, no cars, 700 miles away. I remember when I left my family at 18 to join the Army, my first time flying on an airplane. And I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know you pick up your bags at your last destination. So I'm waiting for my bag, never shows up, and I'm like, in the Denver airport, I'm like, my plane's in another terminal. I'm not going to get there in time. I missed my flight. Had to call a number, and, uh, and uh, they, 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 you know, if anything happens, you call this number, and I call them up, and they're like, did you miss your flight on purpose? You know, I'm trying to get to basic training. And I'm like, no. I'm like, so terrified. He puts me up in a hotel, and I'm like, man, I've already messed up. I haven't even, I haven't even gotten there yet. I'm already a mess up. Uh, I didn't know anything worked, man. I was scared. I just, I wanted my parents. I think about this poor Daniel. He's in a place, didn't even speak his language. Couldn't phone home. He's there with these other guys going through the same fears. He's religious. There was a religious challenge. Look at uh, chapter 3. You know the story, and Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant uh, statue. Verse number 11, it says, uh, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning furnace. This was those uh, tattletales. They uh, come to, to Nebuchadnezzar and they say, uh, uh, Hey, king, wasn't there a decree that was passed that as soon as the music played, everyone was supposed to bow down? And yeah, there were some boys that didn't bow down. Now, at this particular event, we don't know if Daniel was there or not. I would assume he wasn't there because I don't think he would bow down. I think he was somewhere else doing business, okay? But there are three boys that were with him. We already got their names in chapter 1. We often refer to them of their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you think they were the only Hebrews there? When the music plays, and by the way, the music will play, and society says, bow down to this. And bow down to this, and bow down over here, and bow down to this. And, and, and when we stand our ground and say, we're not going to bow down to that. And by the way, do we see some things in our society that they're demanding we bow down to? You see, they're not asking us to tolerate. Christians have been tolerating all the, for centuries. Christians are the most tolerant people there are out there. You know what it takes to tolerate something? First of all, it takes disagreeing with it. You, by definition, you have to disagree with something in order to tolerate it. Second of all, you live peaceably with it anyway. That's tolerance. Folks, we tolerate a lot. They don't want that. They want us to bow down. They want us to bow down to their definition of marriage. They want us to bow down to their definitions of morality. They want us to bow down to these things. I've been, uh, I've been chewing on some thoughts. I, um, I, uh, on this idea, you know, today they're really calling for unity. Unity. 
let's, let's move past this election and let's unify our divided country. And I really ask myself, based on ideas, is it possible? I wonder if it's only possible if half of America bows down. No, the topic for another time, but that's what's going on here. This, this statue is up, and he says, here's what all of society is saying. And, and I can just see, uh, you know, you guys ever been to a, a, a baseball game or whatever, and they, the, the, back when you're allowed to attend baseball games, and, uh, and the stadium, they would do the wave. You know, everyone does their thing. And a couple of people don't participate. You could be all the way across those 30,000 people, and you could see the one that doesn't stand up. Right? Can you see this in your mind's eye? Everyone's standing here, this giant golden image, and the music plays, and from front to back, there's this wave, and then three guys standing there. I can see the other Hebrews there. What are you doing? Get down! Get down! Remember the fire? Get down! And they're standing there. And they stood. Why did they stand? Why did they not bow? Anybody have a guess? Violation of a conscience based on what? Their belief in God. What was being challenged? The core of their belief. God. Do we not see that? See, what we really need for America to progress is to do away with this old-fashioned, uh, bigoted, oppressive Christianity that has kept America from going forward. Can you hear it? Can you hear the music? They want to bow down. And amazingly, with all this, jump back to chapter 1. With all this going on as the backdrop. Verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart to go along to get along. Daniel purposed in his heart just to get by. Just to fly under the radar, do what it took, don't get him upset. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He made a very purposed decision. Purpose in his heart. The word to be purposed means to set steadfastly. I'm not budging. This is where I am. I'm fixed. I am purposed. Look over uh, real quick, uh, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. This, of course, is the chapter uh, under the next king, King Darius, where, uh, where he was going to have to face a den of lions. But uh, in uh, chapter 6, verse number 3, then Daniel, uh, chapter 6, verse 3, then Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want to zero in on that excellent spirit was in him. He had a purposed heart. He had an excellent spirit. What does that mean? Daniel had a life of integrity. Daniel lived with conviction. And I want to say this. It was there before he ever got to Babylon. Folks, I can't tell you what's coming in 2021. I can't tell you what's coming in 2022. I can't tell you what's coming in the next decade. I can tell you Jesus is coming again. But I can't tell you when. And if I do, you should get another pastor. Uh, I can't tell you. But this is what I can tell you. When do you start preparing? Today. When do we start getting our young people ready for battle? Today. Well, it's called today. For the night cometh when no man can work. Today. So how did Daniel get to this place? This is amazing uh, what happens with Daniel. With all these challenges, there was a time to decide and a time to establish convictions, and it came, I want to say this, before the trial. You know whose names we don't know? I don't know Daniel's parents' names, but I bet they're heroes. I don't know his grandparents. I bet there was some awesome, it was an awesome family behind Daniel before he ever went out. 
not only did Daniel have character, but as we already saw, a part of the selection process was these young men of understanding, wisdom. You see, this was a very talented and very gifted young man, but this was instilled in him. This was a conviction in him, not only his character, but how he developed himself and how he uh, ha handled life. He was a young man that stood upright and, and would, would look at adults in the eyes when he spoke to them. He'd speak up, and he was a respectable young man. In fact, you'd be shocked when you found out he was only 17 years old. How old are you, young man? You carry yourself like a man. So it's amazing how this happened and, and this conviction that he had. Now, now it's only so far as, as we're taking our children through, uh, through our, uh, our character development course. CIA, character in action. And they're learning the character of Christ. And we're teaching them what to do and what not to do and, and how to trust God. And we're teaching them a lot of theory, are we not? Life is going to have to instill it. Life is going to have to test it. We can do as much as we can as parents to, to keep those things in check. And as we discipline, I want to challenge parents with this. When you discipline, discipline as it relates to character. Instill it in them. You're not getting a, a spanking because you let me down. You're getting a spanking because you violated this character quality that you know better. We're developing character. Or this was lacking, which caused you to disobey. We're developing character. Because in life, here's what's going to happen, adults. Our character is going to be forged in trials. What's really in there is going to be revealed in trials. Who you really are. Romans 5, verse 3 through 5, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience. How did I get to where I am? I had to tribulate a little. <laughs> I had to go through some tribulation. I had to develop some patience. Now I've got experience that backs my theory. See, my theory was what I believe and, uh, and these things. It's all theoretical until I can experience it. Now it's experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. You see the progress? You see the formula? And, and by the way, that chapter starts off with knowing God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the hope that we have, and it said that the hope maketh not ashamed... And, uh, and so what do we do? We glory in tribulations. This is going to establish me. This is going to strengthen me. This is going to put God to the test. Do I really believe what I believe? Do I really trust him in these hard times? Folks, that's the challenge. You know why so many are distraught? So many are let down? Because their savior, Donald Trump, has been dethroned. I said it. And I love Donald Trump, and I pray for Donald Trump. And I'm curious what might happen. We'll see. It's an exciting time to live. But what now? It's, it's crazy, the stuff I see. He's going to invoke the Insurrection Act. Go back to last, message, last week's message. Where is our hope? But I want to say this, when those trials come, we're going to find out who the believers are. When the church has to go underground, we're going to find out who the believers are. What did God do through Daniel? Look at, uh, look at verse number, uh, back to Jan Daniel 1, look at verse number 9. Verse number 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. Verse number 9, now God had brought Daniel. Hey, God's still involved. God is in Babylon. God is in a pagan land. Is God allowed there? Hey, is God allowed in America? I'm going to say this, America does not have a say in it. <laughs> 
God is here in Babylon with Daniel. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuch. Daniel was among all the others, and somehow, some way, God chose to elevate Daniel. All of a sudden, this one Daniel stands out in the crowd among uh, the, the, the prince of the eunuch. In fact, it goes on, and it talks about how Daniel uh, uh, made a request that he would not defile himself, because he purposed in his heart, and he said, hey, uh, put us to the test, you know, if God doesn't take care of us better than these other guys with that stuff that you're feeding them. Can I say this? That would not have happened if Daniel was not brought into favor with him. And I, I want to say this. You better be sure that you're living in character. You better make sure you're living in godly living before you start trying to take a stand. If you try to take a stand but you're a hypocrite, forget it. Daniel here took a stand, and what did, what did God do? Uh, because he was purposed, because he had conviction, God elevated him, giving him this opportunity. Look at verse number 18. Now, the end of the days, what the king uh, had said he should bring them in. Then the, the, the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to stand now before the king. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like these four, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And get this now, in all manner of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even to the reign of the first year of King Cyrus. That's an amazing statement. Now, if you're a good king, if you're a good leader, you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Okay? That's key. And, uh, and, and, I don't want to try to make parallels right now. They have to be loyal. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Our poor president was so frustrated in so many turns. Anyways, so he's got all these magicians around him. What are they, are they supposed to do? They're wise men astrologers. He's got all these people around him, and he sees these teenage boys. Can you imagine sending four of our teenagers to the White House with all those military experts, with all those scientists, quote-unquote, Dr. Fauci? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying not to be political, I promise. We send our young people there, and, and the whole presidential cabinet, I don't care who the president is, the whole presidential candidate, uh, cabinet says, uh, Man, these four young boys, they're ten times better than everyone who got the Pentagon. Than everyone we've got in the CIA and uh, all these other... Uh, these guys, these guys are brilliant. Folks, that's what's going on here. Who did that? God did that. How did they get there? They were purpose young men. They had conviction. They gave everything they put their hand to. They gave their all. There's a ton of character uh, that we can just assume by getting to this place. But I want to say this. God is the one that paves the path. Daniel influenced leaders in a pagan nation. Daniel influenced kings. Look at chapter 2. Um... In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is troubled by a dream, and he's like, I need someone to tell me the interpretation of the dream. And they're like, well, tell us what the dream was. And he says, I forgot the dream. So I need you to tell me the dream, and then tell me the interpretation. Oh, and by the way, if you get it wrong, you're dead. Well, king, no one can do that. And he got so frustrated, he said, that's it. Kill all of my wise men. Daniel now at this point was included in that. So Daniel makes a request, and he goes, why such a hasty decision? And look at, look at verse number uh, 16. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. And Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and that he would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then, they, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Daniel had night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he uh, changeth the times and the, and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Now, here's, here's where Daniel is. In fact, let me keep reading. He revealeth the deep secrets of things. He knoweth uh, what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth, uh, and, excuse me, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee. He's, he, he's making sure he's given God all the glory before he even goes into the king. O, o thou God, my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. By the way, I want to say this. In all of our victories, and all of our successes, we better acknowledge where they really come from. Yes, I understand we work, and God works. But don't think for a second God will share his glory with any. That's what he says, I will share my glory with no one. What an awesome thing what Daniel says, this wisdom I got from you, this understanding I got from you, and this dream I got from you. Verse 19. I'm sorry, uh, verse, where am I at? Uh, verse 25, there we are. Then uh, Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said, Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, uh, that art thou able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? And he stands before him and he gives him the dream. Of course, that dream becomes uh, a beautiful outline of, of, of prophecy and of the history of the next kingdoms. Really interesting how God used a pagan king to give us Bible prophecy. You ever thought about that? God used a pagan king and... Uh, and a willing servant to give us Bible prophecy. Jump over to chapter 6. So he influenced that king for sure, Nebuchadnezzar. Now King Darius. So as, as, as we saw in verse number 3 already, uh, an excellent spirit was in him, so the king sought to set him over the whole realm. He was going to be the president of an entire area, the leader of an entire area. And, uh, and so all the others who were actually Babylonians, they're like, man, you know, this, this guy from another country is reigning over us. He's getting elevated, and he's not even one of us. And they're all upset. And they said, you know what? He is so excellent, and he's got such a good spirit, and he's so wise that if anything is to, is to if we're going to catch him in anything, it's going to have to be concerning his God. So what do they do? They set a trap. They played into the king's ego. He said, King, we have an idea. We're going to elevate your glory. For the next so much time, let nobody ask anything of anybody except you only. And he's like, I like that. By the way, the government likes that. <laughs> Don't worry. All you that are going through a hard time, we're here to help. Ronald Reagan said the scariest words in the English language are we're from the government and we're here to help. The government likes that. They want to play God. They want to meet all your needs. They want to take care of that. That's what Darius fell into. So what happened? Verse number 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Nothing changed with Daniel. Oh, government put out a decree? The government made a mandate? He did what he did aforetime. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm going to keep praying. I don't know about you, I'm going to keep assembling. I don't know about you, I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep following God. And like Peter and John of old, we will obey God rather than men. Hey, as much as life in you, live peacefully with all men. Yes, honor the king and pray for them in authority and all those things. Yes, but when they step out of line, 
uh, Romans 13 is not a free-for-all for those in authority to, to do whatever they want. The Bible says the powers that be are ordained of God. You know what that means? They fall under God's authority. When they step out of the authority in the realm that God had given to them, we no longer submit to that authority. We submit to God. Just like Paul said to the church, follow me even as I follow Christ. Hey, as soon as I stop following Christ, church, you stop following me, you keep following Christ. Same thing is with our leaders. When they step out of line of their God-given responsibility, we still honor God. Hey, church, it's now illegal to pray. Hey, we still honor God. It's illegal to meet. It's not church if you don't meet. We still honor God. We okay? So he did what he did a four time. Verse number 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and made supplication before his God. How did they know he was going to be praying? Because he did it a four time. He's always done it. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the, king, the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man shall, shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save thee only, O king, shalt be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee. O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these things, was sore displeased within himself. Why was he displeased within himself? Because he was tricked. And he loves Daniel. And Daniel is, is, has been elevated so much in his eyes that he's set to make him king or, or leader of the whole realm. And now he's stuck. Why? Because the laws of the Medes and Persians, you can't undo a decree. So he says this, it is displeased with himself, and he set his heart to Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute with the king established may be changed. Then the king commanded that they brought Daniel, and they cast him into the den of lions. You know the story, Daniel in the lion's den. Look at verse number 19. King arose early in the morning and went in haste into the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried in with lamented voice unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy, uh, 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 excuse me, um, uh, O Daniel, excuse me, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then, then Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Isn't that amazing? How many of you would respond like that? The king wrongfully puts you in the lion's den. God delivers you in the lion's den. I would have a few words for my king. What character Daniel had? King, I've done you no hurt. I've done nothing wrong before God. I was found in my innocency, and God has delivered me. Man, I love it. I'm talking about how he influenced kings. Look at, uh, look at verse number 25. Then King Darius wrote unto all the people and nations and language that dwelt in, that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Pagan land. Can you imagine, like, the leader of China standing up and saying this? The leader of Iran? Egypt? It's just so uncharacteristic. The God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever, for, and his kingdom, that which is not, shall be, uh, excuse me, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow. Three kings he influenced. 
Daniel's life was preserved by God. When the nations fell, Daniel stood. God elevated him. 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and reserve the unjust of the day of judgment to be punished. God knows. God knows how to deliver. By the way, what a hopeful thought. What a hopeful truth. God knows how to deliver out of the day of temptation. That, that means a trial, a difficulty. God knows how to deliver. Even in ancient Egypt, when, the, when the, Moses brought the plagues, hey, they were spared of several of those plagues. When the plague of darkness came, the Bible says that the lights were on in Goshen, where the, for, where the Israelites lived. Lights were still on. When that angel of death swept through, and they saw the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, that angel of death would pass over them. God always has a way. God always knows how, if he wants to, to deliver those. But I also point you to Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, many people did great things for the Lord, but also by faith, many people were martyred. Some were burned. Some were cut asunder. By faith. By faith. So what do we do? What do we do? As we look at Daniel's life, what do we do? We focus on the main things. Turn over to 1 Timothy. Brother Jason, last Sunday night, uh, gave a wonderful message and challenge from 1 Timothy 2. I'm not going to re-preach it, but uh, 1 Timothy 2. Verse number 1, 1 Timothy 2, verse number 1, I exhort thee, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Then he gives a list for kings, for all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What do we do? First of all, we pray. We pray. Oh, this is so elementary. This is so, what are we supposed to do? I thought you said we're going to take up arms. I thought we we're going to start a revolution. I thought, no, 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 folks, we pray. We pray. We pray for them in authority. Yes, even in an oppressive authority, we pray. What do we pray for? What is the prayer request? Then we lead quiet and peaceful lives. Why do we pray? Because we want them out of our business. We pray. Secondly, we walk with God. That we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. We walk with God. You know what we focus on? We become genuine disciples. If any man will come after me, be my disciple, Jesus said. He must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow him. Hey, there may be some suffering along the way. There may be some things that we got to face, but you know how we're going to do it? We have to be genuine disciples. How did those people, you know, how many of you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, or at least some of the stories from it? Yep. How many of these people through history so boldly went to their execution uh, for the cause of Christ by faith? How did they do it? They were genuine disciples. They honored God above all. We must become genuine disciples. We must then disciple other believers. We bring them into it. Because, hey, let's face it, monkey see, monkey do. Some things are better caught than taught. We bring people into a vibrant relationship with Christ. Yes, we bring them to salvation, but then we help them to develop. Here's what prayer looks like. Here's what, here's what godliness looks like. Here's what witnessing looks like. And we bring them into discipleship so that they can be a disciple. We must disciple our children. We teach them what it is to walk with God. And, 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 and listen, it's okay to expose them to some things. Let them see your faith. Let them see your stand. Walk with God. Disciple your children. And then thirdly, we need to share the gospel, which is our hope. It's a very hopeless day, isn't it? I don't know what I'd do if I wasn't saved. I'd be depressed. I'd be bummed out. I would sound like these conservative talk show hosts these days. Boy, if they got saved, what a platform. Anyways, we share the gospel. First Peter three thirteen through 18, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, get this now, happy are ye. <laughs> Who's excited to get happy? 
Who wants to get happy today? If you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Get this now. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accused your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. You know what he's saying? It could be God's will that you suffer. You know what he's saying? There are a lot of people out there that are speak evil of Christians as evildoers. If you and I keep a good conscience, you and I keep living right, you and I keep being ready to uh, give an answer to every man that asks the reason of hope that's in us, listen, they're going to be ashamed. One day CNN's going to wake up and be like, wait a minute, Christians had the answer all along. Well, I don't see it. <laughs> Just reading the Bible. Isn't it amazing, though, the surrounding verses of that verse? Be ready always to give an answer. Suffering. Persecution. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always. See, we ought to be ready to share the gospel. That's our hope. We share the gospel with those around us. We share the hope. We share why we're not depressed. We share why we are excited about what's happening. These are truly exciting days. And, and hey, let's not lose sight. <laughs> let's keep our eyes on that eastern sky. The Lord may be coming again. But in the meantime, we don't just hunker, uh, bunker down and be like, we're just waiting it out till he comes. I know the rapture's coming, guys. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah, they've been saying that for how many years? Maybe we're here because there's just another soul. Maybe we're here because someone you know, someone you influence, would get saved if they just heard. And then we must keep sending missionaries. In fact, when persecution comes, we must send missionaries even more aggressively because that's when people are going to start pulling back. That's when people are going to stop giving. We need to make sure we're keeping that in the forefront. Folks, if in fact these days are, come, are getting dark and these days we are coming to an end, if in fact we are in the last days, then boy, we need to be aggressive about the gospel. These are the last hours. These are those midnight hours. We need some deathbed conversions, so to speak. We need some, some last-minute conversions. We need to get the gospel out. The time, that's when it is time to get more involved, not less involved. So Daniel thrived when radical changes came. Daniel thrived. God, God prospered him. Well, that was then. That was so long ago. How, dare, how can you use that as an example? I, I, I chuckle when people say that. Someone was trying to convince me of the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, and I was like, well, what about Job? Oh, don't bring up Job. That was so long ago. Oh, I forgot. This is all irrelevant now. Let's just, oh, what do you guys want to hear? What do you guys want to talk about? That's, that's the state of the church today, I tell you. Folks, we need to be soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared. We're prepared. We need to be ready. I'm really excited tonight. I'm going to share a little bit of uh, kind of our vision for this next year, but I'm really excited about what's happening with our ladies' groups, our men's groups, and what are we doing? We're trying to develop. We're trying to get ready. We're trying to challenge each other in growth. Are we all right this morning? Amen. Hey, if you're not saved, if there's a question mark hanging over your soul, you better get that taken care of. That's the only hope. Maybe some of us need to be challenged. Maybe you don't know how to win a soul to Christ. I'd love to talk to you and share you how you can share, tell you how you can share your faith. We're going to have a series here coming up in Sunday school probably where I'll go, go through some of that. How do you share the gospel? How do you help people to know Jesus Christ? I think that'll be a help to you. But, but folks, we got you ready. In this day and age, let's, let's dare to be a Daniel. Amen? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for our time together this morning.